Welcome to Disrupted Asia, Between Crisis, Rise and Resilience, a podcast series by FES in Asia. Today's podcast will focus on the effects of digitalization, artificial intelligence and algorithmic decision-making, its impact on workers and possible ways forward for the labor movement in the Asia-Pacific region. How does data collection at the workplace impact the future of workers? What are approaches to increase workers' self-determination over their data rights? How can the capacity of unions be developed to better protect workers? To explore all these critical themes, we have with us today Dr. Christina J. Kolkloff. She is an expert on future of work and politics of technology, a member of the OECD One AI Expert Group, and was the author of the Union Movement's First Principles on Workers' Data Rights and the Ethics of AI. Welcome to our podcast, Disrupted Asia Between Crisis, Rise and Resilience. I'm Kai Dittmann. Hello, Christina. It's great to have you with us today. Hi, Kai. Thanks. Great to be here. We want to talk today about workers' rights, the information age, and the importance of data and algorithms for workers in the 21st century. How does it look like and how will it manifest on the ground? Yeah, it's a big question, and I'm really happy that you are focusing on it. I think what we have to realize is that we as citizens, but also as workers, are increasingly under constant surveillance. Right. So if you think of your mobile phone, it's probably for many of you a smartphone. In that phone, there's 14 sensors. So, for example, your phone knows where you are. You use Google Maps or you use another map function to take you from A to B. It also knows how quickly you're traveling. So, for example, are you walking? Are you in a car? So all of these things and much more Your phone is logging and some of the apps on your phone are taking this information all of the time. Now, many then say, well, it doesn't really matter because I'm not doing anything wrong. So, you know, they can take all of this. But the thing is, we don't know how this data is used, right? We don't know whether it's aggregated to make a profile of you. Now, if we take all of that and move to the world of work, Well, not only do many of us have employer-owned devices, some are also required to wear um, a wearable, so maybe an Apple Watch or an Android Watch, or you are a worker who, who works through an app. You're an Uber driver or a delivery rider. So they're also then getting lots of data about you. So in addition to all of that, we have data that's being created by CCTV, facial recognition, uh, productivity measurements on how quickly you're tapping on your keyboard or what websites you're visiting because there's now systems that take screenshots of your screen without you knowing it and send to the employer to say, okay, Christina's looking at LinkedIn. Maybe she's looking for another job or something, you know. So we have this constant, constant surveillance that we oftentimes don't know is happening. Uh, we can't escape it. And it's offering instant feedback to whoever is surveying us. And in the world of work, that would be the employers. So we have to be very concerned about all of this because this data is being fed into algorithms, which are becoming more and more complex. And some of these algorithms are deciding who to hire, who not to hire. 
you know, let's say the algorithm has been instructed to avoid anybody with a trade union background, for example, or avoid women between the age of 23 and 35 because they're likely to want to have a baby, right? Or to avoid people from certain postcodes or ethnicities. So we have to realize that that there's nothing innocent about this surveillance world. It can be used for good and it can be used to harm our workers' rights and our human rights. How would I know if uh, my employer uses an algorithm that discriminates either because of a union background or because of my age, of my gender? How can I know that? That's a great question, Kai. How do we know? Now, many Uh, in many circumstances, the only way we can know is by asking. You know, uh, in, in Europe, for example, employers are supposed to be consulting with the workers when they introduce technologies which can be termed high risk. And high risk has to do with the processing of personal data. But in the Asia-Pacific region, you know, there's many countries' data protection regulations who don't have that same requirement or like in Thailand I believe in Australia I believe that workers are directly exempted from the data protection i.e putting you into an extremely weak position so you know my tips there would be make sure you have a strong unionized workforce and get the union the shop stewards to really consult with management What systems are they using? For what purposes are they selling uh, these data sets, these inferences that maybe include very personal data about you? Shouldn't we have the right to edit these inferences, block them uh, or deny the right of a company to sell data that includes our personal information to Amazon or to the Secret Service or whoever, right? I think one of the problems in the labor movement is very often that employees and workers very often don't see the direct harm to them uh, when their data is sold, when these algorithms make decisions. I know that uh, Asta Kapoor, she wrote a paper for us on bargaining and data stewardship. Uh, she had an example from an Indian food ordering service and delivery service. Uh, where the accounts were deactivated of drivers who were striking or where money was withheld from them. I think these examples are often very helpful for us to showcase what negative impacts the uh, data premacy of companies can have. Do you have other examples for us? Uh, I know, for example, in Indonesia, call centers is a big uh, trade for you. And now there's software in place in many call centers that not only monitor what the worker is saying, do they, as they have been told, say thank you on average six times during every conversation? Do they have a polite tone of voice? Uh, do they seem at peace and, and you know, infusing trust in the customer? But they're also monitoring the customer's tone of voice. So that, for example, If the customer seems agitated, the system can give some small tips to the worker, say this or do that. Now, the problem with this software is, uh, which is a problem with a lot of software, it was trained on white men. So it didn't recognize ethnic minority accents. 
it didn't recognize as well female accents contrary to male accents. And the workers' wages were directly linked to the performance the system monitored. So you might have said thank you six times, but the system didn't pick it up because they didn't understand your accent and your wages were reduced, right? So this is, this is one really important aspect because we've got to be careful. We think that we don't think this is just gig workers, right? And I'm not a gig worker, so I'm not being monitored. In relation to many of you who will be working from home because of the pandemic, as I said, you know, there are now systems in place which take screenshots of your screen or you go in and take over the camera on your computer to make sure you're sitting in front of the computer, right? A lot of employers have shown a large degree of mistrust towards the workers because they're working from home. Are they really working or are they just sitting on the sofa playing computer games, right? So, you know, my advice here is to almost assume you are being monitored uh, and then to find out uh, in dialogue the union with the employer what systems are in place that are processing personal data. Two topics that we talked a lot about were the right to reasonable inferences and the human-centered approaches when it comes to algorithmic design. Can you tell us a little bit more about what potential solutions to the conundrum we are in right now could look like? Data is not just data. It is all these profiles they're making, as I mentioned before. So I want to echo um, the author of, of the big book called In the Age of Surveillance Capitalism, Shusana Supov. She uh, is calling for making markets in human futures illegal. So the trading of all of these inferences, she wants to make illegal because it is that which is the biggest threat to our human rights and essentially to what I call our right to be human. Our right to be perceived as a person with emotions, with irrationalities, with joys, with anger, with dreams, You know, if they have all of these data points on us, it doesn't really matter who you are to the system. The system doesn't care what your dreams and desires are because it's already created all of these profiles on you. So step number one would be to really ban uh, the markets in human futures until we get there, because let's face it, our politicians haven't precisely shown responsibility in 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 sort of this, this surveillance age, I think, and, and especially in your region, in the Asia-Pacific, we must fight for much stronger workers' data rights, so the collective rights, so that workers can, inspired by the GDPR, uh, ask for a data subject access request so they get the data a company holds on them. Uh, we must have much better rights over these inferences. We must have the right to be consulted around new technologies which are processing personal data. We must have a right to, to have a say in ha what happens to this data. Who has access to it? Is it sold? If so, to whom? When we are looking at the Asia-Pacific region, it's a region full of differences. Uh, from the socioeconomic status of economies to cultural differences, so what would be good first steps on a shop floor in a call center? 
So here, and this might seem paradoxical, contrary to what everything I've said uh, in in this podcast so so far, but we have to hurry up slowly, in the sense that you know don't start negotiating on something you're not really prepared to negotiate on. So union leaders should be trained in understanding at least the basic um, formations of digitalization, the threats, the potentials. Then we need, of course, to train our shop stewards, our staff reps, so that they know what questions to ask and what demands to put on the table. And then, of course, the union staff who are there to support the shop stewards um, should also be trained so they can be there and support and so on. So my immediate recommendation, and I can hear that you've already been discussing some of these things at your conference, is we need some more webinars, some more training sessions on this. We need to build the competencies. Uh, we need to find out what is really happening in our region, our country, uh, in our company. We need to pick up the phone uh, and ask, you know, if, if you're working in a multinational company, start really asking, asking across your union brothers and sisters, you know, what experiences do you have? Are they deploying this automated hiring system or scheduling or surveillance tool? What should be our joint response? So really actually go back to the basics of, of unionism, that solidarity, that working together, uh, but do so. And I would say the plan you know, on getting there, how to get there should be done immediately. It's not that discrimination didn't happen before the arrival of big data or algorithmic injustice. When we compare the injustices of an algorithm to the injustices of uh, human-made structures in organization, be it corporations, be it countries, um, why is this less human form of injustice more problematic for workers compared to what we had before? I'm not saying it's necessarily more problematic. I would say all injustices are problematic. Where it can be more is the scale of this, right? It can be scaled instantaneously because right now the majority of software is designed either in China or in the United States. It's trained on data sets which are not representative or it's trained on historic data. For example, Amazon, right? They introduced an automated hiring system and found out it only hired men, so they had to take it down. But that was trained on the historical data inside Amazon. So Amazon had obviously had a discrimination problem for a long time, right? What is additionally difficult about algorithmic bias and discrimination is, and this is the second thing that unions should be focusing on, is that there's a lack of governance of algorithmic systems. So um, a company might be buying in software that was developed by another company and they're deploying it without having governance mechanisms in place. So to check, for example, you know, is there discrepancies in who it's recommending to hire or fire even? Uh, is it sending mostly, if it's a scheduling tool, is it mostly women who are asked to, to work uh, adverse hours, right? Now, one, the union demand here should be that we have a seat at the table in this governance. And you mentioned something before about having a human 
in command or a human in control. We cannot have a human in control over these elaborate systems if we don't have multiple voices around the table. How can we make it more palatable for companies to deploy this approach? So if we can make arguments that it is also good for business, then we might actually have a better chance of success to get a seat at the table. How would we do that best? So I think one big thing is going to be a question of liability, right? Uh, that companies can risk huge reputational damage, but also financial damage if they are found to be using a digital system which is discriminative or in other ways in breach of, of law, right? Um, I don't think we, we should overestimate management's control of these systems. A lot of the managers around the world I have spoken to and asked, do you govern these systems? Do you understand them? Every single time I've asked that question, after 30 seconds of dead silence, somebody in the room has dared say, no, we don't. So, you know, um, we have countries who have signed up for the OECD AI principles, for example. We have more and more countries joining the Global Partnership on AI, which adheres to the OECD AI principles, now we must demand of our politicians to put flesh on the bone, to turn words of good intent into practice. And one of the ways uh, that should be done is by saying to companies, listen, we want to help you use tech for good, i.e. we have to ensure it's not being used for bad. And one way we can do this is by helping you create models of good governance, which includes the workers, um, and then in that way, make sure that you're not in breach of law or, or fundamental rights, for example. So that's, I think, that the strongest reason why we could get companies into this is their reputation and their risk, their financial liability. Uh, maybe one last question. So when you look to the next six months, next year, what would be the projects that uh, you think are most promising to advance workers' data rights? I know uh, for a fact that in your region, more and more unions are now interested in these topics and are putting webinars, seminars, trainings on the table. This is important. I think uh, it will be, and I, here I urge the unions to work much closer together to prevent reinvention of the wheel, but also to ensure that we start bridging the digital divides. As you mentioned before, your region is very diverse in all, on all sorts of axes. How can we help the developing countries leapfrog all the mistakes we made by letting this happen? Uh, and Really, when technology starts permeating their societies, they're ready with a response, right? So the next six months, we have seen COVID has sped up the surveillance of our citizens and workers. The next six months, it will be to table, to work with experts, putting training on the table and doing so collaboratively. Thank you, Christina. Um, I, I think you made clear to us that there is an urgency that for the individual worker, but for the movement as a whole as well. Thank you so much for taking the time and being with us.
Thank you for inviting me, Kai. Thank you, and good luck with your work. This was Christina Kolkloff, expert on the future of workers and the politics of digital technology. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Disrupted Asia, Between Crisis, Rise and Resilience. This podcast was brought to you by FES in Asia, interviewed by Kai Dittmann, directed by Mirko Gunter and produced by Andovar. Please make sure to subscribe, tell your friends about it, and don't forget to visit our website, fes-asia.org, for regular updates on freedom, justice, and solidarity in Asia.